Bibles, if you will, and open them to Daniel chapter 4. And follow as I read, beginning at verse 19. Verse 19. <clears throat> Daniel chapter 4. Here we go. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven... And it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade and whose branches the birds of the heavens lived. It is you, O king, who has grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots of the earth, bound with a band of iron bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and his portion be with the beast of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It is a decree of the Most High which has come upon my Lord the King that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you shall, you from the time that you know that heaven, that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will immediately the word was fulfilled against nebuchadnezzar he was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. 
And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me and I was established in my kingdom. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God endures forever. Guys, we find ourselves this morning in the middle of a testimony. Nebuchadnezzar's testimony. I, uh, if you were here last week, hopefully you were. You remember that we, uh, we looked at the first half last week. And I told you we would uh, wrap it up this week. This is, <clears throat> this is Nebuchadnezzar's testimony in chapter 4. Daniel didn't write this. Nebuchadnezzar wrote it, and he wrote it in another language. He wrote it in the Aramaic, as we talked about last week. And for um, whatever his reasons, God thought it important that you and I know something about the conversion of uh, one of the men who used to be an enemy of God's. So without further chit-chat, let's, um, let's take a look at this testimony. Gang, I, I don't know whether you've ever been in a discipleship program before. I mean, if you were with uh, Navigators or Billy Graham or Camps Crusade for Christ, or uh, all of those programs will tell you that one of the first things that you do in a discipleship program is that you learn to, tell, to share your testimony. And so they give you instructions as to how to share the testimony. It's, and it's really pretty simple. Um, if you've never heard this, here it is. It's uh, a, a testimony is really just comprised of three parts. There is the before you met Christ, there is how you met Christ, and there is since you met Christ. And that's how it goes. I mean, it's pretty simple. What I was like before I met Christ, and, and how I met Christ, and, and then what has changed now that I've met Christ. And, I, you know, I don't know who designed that program, but they very well could have drawn it from Daniel chapter 4, because that's what you got here. So what I want you to look at is just a, we've got some things after these things, but there, there are three lessons here. And what Nebuchadnezzar is doing uh, in, in a broad way is telling you what I was like before I met Christ and how I met Christ and uh, what life has been like since. So take a look first at um, how he describes himself. Uh, again, how he describes himself. This is not Daniel. This is Nebuchadnezzar's writing this. How he describes himself um, before he was a converted man. Look at it in verse 4. He says in verse 4 um, that he was um, at ease in my house and prospering. Now think of that. <laughs> An unbeliever um, living a, just a very comfortable, easy life and prosperity and, um, and, and enjoying a, 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 a sense of peace. A deceitful peace, but a peace nonetheless. He's, he's prospering, he's at ease, and he's uh, you know living a very rather peaceful life. Let me, let me, let me put it another way. To be peaceful and prosperous is no sign of spiritual safety. Um, you can be one dream away from an upheaval in your life. 
And that's what happened to this friend of ours, Nebuchadnezzar. But he begins by, he begins by telling you, oh, life was good. And then one night, one night I went to bed and didn't have a care in the world, prospering at ease, peaceful, and a dream. <laughs> it's a flimsy piece, indeed, uh, that, that a dream can rob you of it, but that's all it took. Just a dream. You know, now we've had dreams like that. All of us have had scary nightmares when we've been sh- shaken out of our, our, our slumber. You know, there was the plane crash or the, uh, the monsters or that exam that I didn't know was scheduled and I didn't, I didn't study for it, you know. But you know, you wake up and, and, uh, we realize it was just a dream and everything's over. But that's not what happens to Nebuchadnezzar. He says in verse five, oh, it made me afraid. And I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head, oh, they alarmed me. This guy's deeply troubled as a result of this dream. It's all it took, but that's what it took, is a dream. Daniel is finally called in in, in, in verse 8. Um, and the interpreter, or actually the dream, is he's beginning to share the dream with, with Daniel. And, uh, and it really begins, I mean, the dream really begins rather tamely. It's a tree. Uh, you know, a easily interpretable item. Uh, you know, this is a, this is a world leader and, and, um, um, just like maybe, uh, you know, Nebuchadnezzar. You know, so far so good. And then, um, in verse 14, it takes an ominous turn. That is the dream. We're told in verse 14 that the watcher instructs that the tree needs to be chopped down. And then that whole metaphor changes. It changes abruptly and disturbingly from a tree stump to a hymn. Look at verse 15. Uh, let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion, verse 16, let his mind and let a beast mind be given to him and let seven periods of time pass over him. We aren't talking about a tree anymore. We're talking about a person. It's all changes from a, a very uh, calming tree stump to a, to a hymn. A him who is about to lose his mind, who is about to live unclothed and dwell with beasts. The drama continues to build, it seems, and then Daniel comes in there in verse 19 and he says, You know, Lord, I, I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, I wish this would happen to somebody besides you. But then the climax of the whole thing is in verse 22. It is you. It is you, Nebuchadnezzar. You're about to lose your mind. You're about to become such a creature that you are going to live with beasts. Why? Why is that? Verse 25 says, Until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men. A year passes. Nothing happens. And then one night, Nebuchadnezzar is out for a little stroll. And he says to himself, by the way, have you, have you ever heard that, that fable about the rooster? 
the rooster who convinced all of the other barnyard animals that the sun rose so it could hear him crow. Listen to this rooster crow in verse 30. He says, Is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? There it is, ladies and gentlemen. That's key. And with that statement, Nebuchadnezzar seems to cross some invisible line. A line between mercy and wrath. And while the words are still on his tongue, a voice from heaven answers with a thunderclap of judgment. And the voice says, Nebuchadnezzar, this kingdom, it's gone. That's verse 31. And the judgment that had been predicted now arrives with a vengeance. Guys, it, 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 it's the third time in verse 32. It was mentioned in verse 17. It's mentioned in verse 25. And it's mentioned until in verse 32. Until you know, Nebuchadnezzar, that the Most High rules in the heavens and the earth. Until you get that right, you're, um, you're going to be a beast. You see, gang, what Nebuchadnezzar had done is that he had stolen from God. He had taken something that wasn't his. He had taken credit for something that wasn't his. Oh, my friend, think about that. Taking credit for something that I shouldn't have taken credit for. Prosperous people are prone to do that. Guys, in a word, it was pride that turned him into an animal. An animal unfit to live with people. He had 12 months to consider that warning. He had 12 months to learn the lesson. He had 12 months to repent. 12 months of grace. He had heard the warning from Daniel very clearly. And his self-conscious response was... Thanks, but no thanks. I'm not interested. Perhaps like some of you. Guys, when, um, when men steal God's glory, they become beast-like. Um, when men don't know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will, they'll do pretty much anything and, and, and they'll call it normal. It was pride, folks. N- not greed, not lust, not murder. It was pride that brought 
Nebuchadnezzar to his knees. Or it brought him down. It was, um, it was his thinking that his life was something that he himself controlled. And that all of his great abilities and all of his great prosperity and all of his great success is something that he himself had produced. And he was warned. Nebuchadnezzar, that dream that you had. And and, and Daniel says, therefore, O king, in verse 27, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off with this unrighteousness and, and, and do righteousness. And he said, put me down for no interest. I'm really not concerned to hear what you gotta say, big boy. Pride. It was his sin, and it's um, it's still alive and well today. It seems like, gang, that the one thing that separates men so frequently from God is is just that. So that's that's how he describes his life before he met Christ, and then then he moves on to this um, to tell you what happened that brought him to Christ. And what he describes is that he lost his mind. He went insane. <laughs> you know, guys, that, that, that's upsetting. To think that, that my, even my sanity is at God's disposal. Look at this uh, verse 33. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles feathered and his nails were like bird's claws. I've never seen that. I saw it in a movie once. I saw it in The Aviator when it was depicting the life of Howard Hughes. But I've never seen anybody that bad. But I do see this rather frequently. I see people who come and they want to they want me to somehow unravel this thing. And it's like they have met, they have made one decision, a, a series of bad decisions, and each subsequent decision simply complicates the bad ones that they've already made. And, and I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, their, their nails aren't corkscrews. But I think they make one bad decision on top of the other. Because God has removed their sanity. They can't see the beauty of righteousness. Because they're not sane. Sin will do that to you, folks. Sin will make you crazy. It turns you into an animal. You know, guys, there's a statement in the Psalms. It's in Psalm 8 um, where the psalmist says, What is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visits him, that you visit him? You have made us a little lower than the angels and have crowned us with glory and honor. And with that statement, guys, man, men and women have been, have been located in God's created sequence and God created order. 
we're a little lower than the angels. We occupy a position between, a little lower than the angels, but above the beasts. In that position, we can do one of two things. We can look up and become more and more like the God who made us, or we can look down. Now, gang, I have, I, I'm, I'm no psychologist, but I've, I've noticed a disturbing trend. Let me explain. Um, gang, we live without any doubt in an evolutionary world. That is a world that is, uh, that is dominated by evolutionary and naturalistic philosophy. Which tells us that we're nothing more than higher developed animals. We're just, we're just the top of the food chain, the top of the, the, uh, the evolutionary development system, you know? And so, here's what, here's what I, here's the trend I'm, I'm, I'm noticing. To explain human behavior today, what people are doing is saying, well, just look. It goes on in the animal kingdom. I mean, um, it's just in our background. I mean, we're just, we're just a little bit more, you know, evolutionarily developed than they are. And so I, I saw one article about a group of ducks. A group of ducks that are guilty, and I'm going to watch my tongue here, but uh, let me just put it like this. The ducks were guilty of gang sexual violence. And the article went on to say, you know, so, so, so we're, we're, we're going to, we're going to commit sexual violence gang-wise. It's all right. Ducks do it. So... We're all right. I mean, we're just, it's, it's just part of our background. There's another article about a baboon. I didn't make that up. It's a baboon. And the baboon is filmed killing its own child. Infanticide. And so the article goes on to say, listen, just because we're committing all of this murder, it's all right. Because baboons do it. Now, I, I will say I don't think baboons kill 1.5 million of their unborn young every year. Oftentimes for the only reason that it's for the convenience of the mother. But it's okay. Because we're only highly developed baboons. Guys, the name John Gerstner might ring a bell with some of you. John Gerstner is dead now, but John Gerstner is considered, R.C. Sproul calls him his father. Um, Gerstner taught Sproul everything he knows. I was in a, in a room in debate. I, I wasn't in debate with John Gerstner, thank goodness. But I was in the room where he was debating another guy, and he's got his gruff all voice. And, and I mean, he just chewed this guy and spit him out, but it was, that's not the story. But on a, another occasion, uh, John Gerstner was speaking to an audience about human depravity. And in that lecture, he likened men and women to rats. And at the end of his lecture, there was a question and answer session. And so a woman goes to the microphone and she says, I am deeply offended by that comment and that comparison of mankind to rats. I'm insulted and I want you to apologize. And Gerstner said, well, madam, 
I do apologize. I deeply apologize to you for it because that comparison was very unfair to the rats. And then he went on to explain that when rats perform behavior that rats perform, they're just functioning like they've been designed and instinctually how they are to perform. But when people act like animals, they're acting beneath the the, the position and role and place they were to occupy when God created them. Ladies and gentlemen, sin will turn you into an animal. And you'll do just about anything and call it normal. Because your sanity is gone. And I want you to notice how he gets it back. Because that's the good news of the story. Or at least part of the good news. He gets his sanity back when God gives it to him. Um, God in his sovereign good pleasure after seven periods of time, some have said years, some have said months, seven since weeks, but I think it's years. But when God gets ready, God gives it back. Um, he had nothing to do with the return of his sanity. God took it and God gave it back. And I think part of the point that he's making in his testimony is that my conversion is all of God. I mean, I didn't say anything about my first birth, and I'm not, I didn't say anything about my second birth. Because when God got ready, as a result of my pride, that's what I was, as a result of my pride, I became an animal. And then when God in his sovereign good pleasure got ready, he gave me my sanity back. Guys, we are all only what God chooses to allow us to be. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar wants you to know. I am who I am today because God saw fit to bring me back to my senses. What a God this God is. And having told you what he was before he became a Christian, how he became a Christian, then he launches in verse 34 to tell you what his life is like since he's become a Christian. And ladies and gentlemen, those verses, verses 34 and 35, they read like a psalm. It describes the same serene state of a saved soul. Could I read them? Listen. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. 
And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? You know, last week I told you that I was like a man standing in front of that big room with all the gold in it. That's why. Gang, you know what Nebuchadnezzar, you know who Nebuchadnezzar has met? He has met the eternal self-existent God. The God that he now knows is the God who has reigned from the first day and he will continue to reign until there are no more days. He used to think that the reason, according to verse 30, that the reason that I have this kingdom and the reason that I have this prosperity and the reason that I'm in the position that I'm in is because I'm smart and because I'm good and because I'm savvy and because I'm talented. And that turned him into a beast. You know, it's interesting that um, in chapter 2 and chapter 3, he makes these statements about God, you know, after the uh, fiery furnace and all that business. But now the, the key characteristic difference in this statement and those is in verse 34 when he says, And I bless the Most High. You know, there's other statements. He talks about how great Daniel's God is. But this one, oh no. He's got the first person singular pronoun, I. He's not just Daniel's God. He's mine. He's my God. And this God, before this God, look at it, ladies and gentlemen. Look at it. He says in verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. You know, I I wish that I could get these words engraved on every, on the portal of every throne room and every courtroom and in every Congress and every parliament on, on earth. But it's not. And because it isn't, Men keep acting like animals. By the way, just one other thing I want you to see, because it's certainly one of my favorite themes. It's 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 a favorite theme. It's not a it's not a favorite attribute. It's just a or a personal. It's just a favorite theme of mine. He talks about humility in verse thirty-seven. I praise and extol and honor the King of Heaven for all His works are right and His ways are just. And those who walk in pride, He is able to humble. 
crazy ever. And there's a lot of us in this room who know that. He may use a dream. He may use a divorce. He may use a daughter. But those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, we are glad that he is. I guarantee you Nebuchadnezzar is glad or he would have lived the rest of his life as a beast. Gang, humility. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. And do you see how gripped he is? I mean, you don't see him talking about his mighty power anymore. (laughs) He didn't talk about his administrative skill and his military genius. I extol and I praise the God who rules in heaven before whom the inhabitants of all the earth amount to nothing. Guys, that's that's an enormous statement. And I... um, It's one that comes from a man who's been converted. You know, you can see the beauty of humility, particularly when you compare it with verse 30. (laughs) Compare it verses 34 and 35 with verse 30, and you'll get a pretty decent definition, a working definition of humility. You can also see in this story of how much God hates pride, and you can also see in this story how how humility begins. It's when God in his great kindness steps in and performs a spiritual service by reminding us that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will. And there there are none who can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Gang, I glory in this text. If you've ever been in my systematics class, I always use these verses because I'm, they're such a succinct summary of, of the posture of a converted man. Two other quick things and i got to quit. Gang, back in verse 2, which I told you last week should really be located at at the end of verse 37. Verse 2 should really be after 37. It really should be verse 38 or whatever. But anyway, but at verse 2 he says, It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. And then he launches into his testimony. Nebuchadnezzar says it was that he was pleased to share his testimony. He wanted people to know his story. Way to go, Nebuchadnezzar. Do you have a story? How about you? Do you, do you uh, Nebuchadnezzar's got a great story. Do you have anything to share? 
Is there a testimony of God's rich sovereign grace tucked in there somewhere that needs to get out? Oh, my friend. Oh, that what Nebuchadnezzar has done, as he said, it, it, it seemed good. Might it seem good to the rest of us? I got a testimony to tell about what God has done in my life, and I can't wait for somebody to hear it. You got one of those? And then finally, and this is this is kind of a the seventh of all the lessons, and it's uh, it's one that I just think is a good one, and we'll close with it. But guys, if you know anything about the ancient Middle East, <clears throat> you know that the insanity of a king would have normally unleashed a a power struggle uh, of such magnitude that the king's life wouldn't have been worth a plug nickel. I mean, he would have been killed by somebody, some very crafty conspirator who had seized the throne and, and uh, you know, a, a, an insane emperor somewhere would have been very uncomfortable to have around. And so they would have gotten rid of him pretty quick. And yet for seven years, Nebuchadnezzar was protected from the people who would have exploited his madness and would have used it as a sufficient cause to murder him and to seize the reins of power for themselves. The fact that Nebuchadnezzar's insanity was not exploited, I think, points to the sovereign Holy Spirit who works as a restrainer of evil. Gang, he's working like that right now. That is, the Holy Spirit is functioning to restrain the extended hand of evil. He is sovereignly restraining the the outburst and governing it so that um, so that the righteous can display their righteousness before a world that longs for it. God kept faith with a lunatic. He will keep faith with us. I I think as the people of God, one of the things that needs to be a great concern and matter of prayer with us is that the Holy Spirit never stop doing this. Because if he does, I think you will find living far more difficult and far more unpleasant when the Holy Spirit removes his restraining hand. Let's pray that he doesn't. But I close with this, guys. 
This is a testimony of God's sovereign grace. He took a man who was beast-like in his pride, orchestrated a set of circumstances to bring him to to, to sanity, and the man goes on to make statements that are unparalleled in their beauty. And that man awaits you in heaven. He's done the same thing for a lot of us. Bless him. Our Father, I do pray that you'll use this testimony by this man who was at one time your enemy. I pray that you would use his testimony to remind us of the great beauties of sovereign grace and the, the, the extremes to which you have gone to bring about the sanity on the part of so many of us. You have made us different creatures, Father, and we bless you and love you for it. So might the world hear our testimony like it heard Nebuchadnezzar's. Might it be kind? Might it be full of great grace? And might this God who Nebuchadnezzar met be as prominent in our testimony as you were in his? Oh God, thank you. Thank you for bringing us to our senses. We pray it in Jesus' name.